Hey, welcome everybody. This is Vincent for the Meaningful Shit Show and today we're going to talk about harnessing the power of dopamine, serotonin, endorphins and oxytocin. So the four feel-good molecules. I'd like to start with a couple of opening quotes. First, that's what's falling in love really amounted to, your brain on drugs. Adrenaline, dopamine, oxytocin and serotonin chemical insanity celebrated by poets it's by tess gerritsen when the eyes of a woman that a mind find man finds attractive look directly at him his brain secretes the pleasure inducing chemical dopamine but not when she looks elsewhere daniel goldman all right let's get this started i want to talk to you about Strategies for regulating the four feel-good molecules, dopamine, serotonin, endorphins, and oxytocin, and what it, what it means from like sort of a big-picture perspective, what we can learn from it. Um, and I'll touch on adrenaline as well here and there. So just to, I would like to talk about all of the four chemicals, more from like just a scientific perspective, what, what they are. We want to go through that relatively quickly just to get you started, get the juices flowing. Dopamine, often referred to as the feel-good neurotransmitter, plays a crucial role in the brain's reward system and reinforcement of certain behaviors. Serotonin, it's also a neurotransmitter known to regulate mood, emotions, and social behaviors. It's created in the gut contrary to dopamine, which is created and stored in the brain. So serotonin contributes to feelings of well-being, happiness, and is involved in maintaining a stable mood. We have endorphins. They're neuropeptides, so something else. They're produced by the body, um, I believe produced in the brain as well, but we'll get to that later, to help manage pain and stress. They act as natural painkillers, mood lifters and induce feelings of euphoria and reduce anxiety and stress then we have oxytocin um i've read the most contradicting research about that i've, I've actually gone through a bunch of scientific papers on this so classically oxytocin is referred to as the love hormone the bonding hormone and it plays a significant role in social bonding have all kinds of experiments with mice and rat and balls where they you know manipulate the levels of oxytocin and see how they uh, react to that um, and it plays a role in emotional connections and trust as well it's released during activities like hugging touching and intimate interactions hence uh, they also call it the, the hugging hormone so they all work in very complex ways so whatever i'm going to tell you is an oversimplification it, it has to be because whatever these chemicals do is not like limited to exactly our moods and the topics that we're talking about. Uh, so it's just not our emotions, it's overall mood. It regulates organs as well, your digestion, etc., etc. But they are essential. Those are the ones that are essential for maintaining uh, emotional well-being and a balanced me uh, me mental state. So it behooves us to know about them and adjust tactics based on that so that we make sure that we fill up on that, that we take care of these different uh, levels of, because it informs us what makes us happy, which is also the reason that we're talking about it, right? Um, I've been talking about 
on topics that help you make decisions to make you happy. And in a way, these are all decisions or decisions you can make to make yourself more happier without doing that much specific stuff. This is more abstract stuff. This is more taking care of your body as science currently understands how these molecules work. It's not at all about that. It's not that we're just like driven by these feel good hormones and we just have to top them off because then we can just like shoot up with drugs and that would be it. And those obviously have downsides, but we can be informed by them. Also begs the question what happiness exactly is. Is it contentment, ecstasy, avoidance of non-happiness or negative emotion, or is it just being balanced? And how I look at it in context with these well, well-being molecules is like the, the meta thing that we want to do is be on life's path. And it has something to do as well. I'll touch upon that when we talk about dopamine. But that path comes with ups and downs. So we're not trying to like eliminate sadness, eliminate negative feelings or something like that. In fact, like taking, doing like your life's path can actually come in, at least initially with more downs because that might refer to every episode I talk about what are, what could be the backlash from your environment. So the moment that you start prioritizing your life purpose, doing things that the, your peers or people around you don't necessarily expect that does mean that you get can get pushback and that your life becomes harder that's why all these motivational speakers are always talking about like listen to yourself don't listen to other people they they're going to you know keep you stuck in in how you are and not how you want to be so if you recall a moment in life that was challenging the challenging emotion and if you imagine that instead of dealing with these stuff in motion you just take a pill that makes you feel happy and that would cause you to not deal with that. So that's also not what I'm suggesting. It sounds like a heroin addiction to me. In the short term, escapism works, right? In short, in the short term, if you're just sad or someone broke up with you, you can like go drink, snort, gamble, fuck, go on the Eagles, wild roller coaster ride. Sure, that works. But what we're trying to go for is not the short term. We want to be cognizant of the medium and the long term. And a lot of things that happen when you're walking your life's path, they give you more of a low grade glow versus like that bright flash of like going to a party or something like that. Not, not to hate on going to parties, you know, that's part of life too, but you're not going to get much forward momentum out of, out of that by and large, right? I mean, it could be good for networking. Um, I also want to underline that different people that might be listening or look uh, watching this might be in different stages of their life. There's different optimal decisions for an individual person. And that is partially informed by the chapter of life that they're in. It can be advantageous to chase shiny things when you're in your twenties, maybe even thirties, because it tells you something about what is, what is for you. If you chase that shiny thing, and not even think about like why it's shiny and if it's your society that's, that tells it's shiny or whatever. It, it informs you, it can teach you more about what you like in the end, like even if you get it, like how does it affect your life happiness? If you get that, you know, car or driver's license or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or, you know, does, how does that move the needle, right? Or, you know, piece of technology, new phone, new TV, right?
Um, I do want to talk a little bit about something that uh, happened to me personally in life. So in a fairly recent, like a number of years ago, chapter of life, I got out of a very long relationship that I've been in since, since I was like 19, basically, 11 years. Um, so throughout all my 20s, um, I, was, I was in a relationship and I got, didn't get to experience like the adventurousness and sexually adventurousness and promiscuity that a lot of people experience in their 20s not all the people experience in their 20s i'm not necessarily saying that that's a good thing i actually would argue the opposite right now wish i would have a little bit more maturity in that uh, phase of life um but um i went through that phase because i thought that that was what i was truly desired because it's like one of these shiny things it's like something that at least i was susceptible to drinking that kool-aid of what like masculinity looks like that you can go out and you can just have sex with a bunch of girls like that makes you a better man in some way um and it turned out to be more destructive in the medium and long term to me because it engages like sort of almost in an, an addictive cycle because it's you know, chasing shinies in a, in a way. And you're not moving yourself along that that much. Now, again, there's something to be said because there is the fact that men are interested in women and that they want to like chase them has something to do with their reward mechanism. So we're going to talk about dopamine there. It's very dopamine inspired. Nature has arranged it in such a way that for a lot of us, like we don't just keep chasing women over and over and over again, because we at one point get that it doesn't really make us happy. And then like sort of the low grade, slow churn happiness is more in having a longer relationship. So these two systems do play together, like basically dopamine and serotonin, more about that later. So, but that is what I wanted to uh, to underline that in that chapter that was very dopamine driven. It was about going to parties, meeting people, um, and at the same time, I was working on my life's path. I was working on spirituality, but it was very segregated, and that's you know was a phase of immaturity uh, uh, in me, um, and very much like sort of a. A dopamine bender in a way your story might be completely different you might have gone through that chapter in your 20s um, you might be in your 20s it might be more about complacency for you some people are in a situation that they have like a good safety net around them um, you know so that they are not really challenged that much to do anything new they're just doing whatever everyone else is doing and sort of like feeling like their life is slowly wasting away they're gaining weight they're not really doing anything that challenges them um, that's not really my temperament for better or for worse but it can influence your happiness in the same way and it involves the same brain chemicals like i mean what what keeps you like sort of on the couch what keeps you unmotivated right and that has something to do with dopamine as well which is how you motivate yourself so we're really going to take a look at what these four feel-good molecules tells us about 
optimizing happiness to just have like this feeling that you're you're good in your body and your brain that you know you're you're steaming ahead into a direction that you want to and how that affects these different um, uh, molecules and of course this is just a model to look at that these molecules are hugely complicated like i said it's going to be an oversimplification but we can still see what chemically drives happiness and we can try to look beyond beyond the chemicals at the same time we know the solution does not lie in a pill the solution lies in putting in the work and putting in effort but you want to put in the work and the effort in the right way to like sort of chop the wood with the grains so the wu way moving uh in line with how nature wants things to go so you know in a way recruiting these feel-good uh, molecules so it helps it helps you along right that it becomes a tool instead of something that uh, prevents you from moving forward we can then be informed by these theories we can be informed by how the machinery works and then turn that use that into doing what we want all right now i want to try to do this rapid fire so i want to really talk a little bit more in detail about these different molecules i'm going to start with dopamine Dopamine is a neurotransmitter in the brain, stored in the brain, discovered by Arvid Carlson only 50 years ago. It's mind-blowing. Um, there's more insights that were provided by Paul Greengard, so that's another known name in the industry. And that actually got them the Nobel Prize for Medicine in 2000. But it's really interesting, at least to me, that we've only really known about what this molecule does for 50 years. It's fascinating. So it's known as the feel-good uh, hormone. It gives you a sense of pleasure, a strong sense of pleasure, which wanes pretty quickly. It gives you the motivation to do something. So it is anticipatory, as in you know that you're going to get something that's pleasant. That is going to give you some motivation to keep going. Generally, you, have, you do have to start or you have to like visualize starting. Then the dopamine starts going. And then when you complete whatever the thing is, you get the shiny, you also get rewarded with like a huge surge of dopamine, which you've already guessed is gone 10 seconds later, or maybe maybe a little bit, but it's it's fleeting. So it's part of your reward system. And that system is designed to reward you when you're doing things you need to survive. Eat, drink, compete to survive, compete, compete to reproduce. If you think about it, it makes sense because all of these things really if you think about it are a huge pain in the neck it's much easier to just lie on your ass and don't do anything so it's kind of interesting to realize that nature needed a strong reward system to motivate you to get off from your ass and actually do something and the fact that that system exists that means like you can harness it so our brains are hardwired as humans to seek out behaviors that release dopamine in our reward system. When you're doing something pleasurable, as I said, it releases a large amount of dopamine and you feel good, you seek out more of that feeling. So it is involved in movement, in memory, right? Because you have to remember a good thing in order to do that good thing again. So you have a special way of storing those memories. So you can have like euphoric recall like basically only remembering the good things of an event or you know eventuality so that you seek it out again which can lead you down an addictive path and you can break that entire system once you come really addicted to hard drugs for example 
pleasurable reward and motivation um, has something there's the Coolidge effect as well which where males get more dopamine if they're mating with new females so it tells us a lot about our sexual attraction as uh, as well I, I spoke uh, the quote that I started the episode with about if you're locking eyes with an attractive um, it was from the male to the female but works the other way around that dopamine is dopamine is flowing and in the Coolidge effect we see that males get more dopamine if the new female is introduced uh, and that's um, an interesting factoid about our sexuality as well which is something to be aware of and harness uh, as well it's also interesting that the other way around it doesn't really work that much that leads into these age-old discussions about that men are motivated to go go out there in the world and spread their seed where women more find try to find like a strong male that will take care of their offspring and these things are a little bit at odds at each other um, so i'm also partially telling you this because the fact that something is present in us doesn't mean that we always just want to let that system do exactly what we want we're not we have a society that does not promote like just you know going around and sp spreading your seed as it as it were that's that's adultery but there is something that like the reason that adultery happens is because we're seeking dopamine and that we're like lacking in different in different areas so it's an imbalance in a way so it's also um, part of behavior and cognition like it allows you if you want to figure something out like dopamine is released so you actually put in the mental effort to like figure something out it can be like even like your homework at school that can when you finally figure it out when you get the right answer you get rewarded with dopamine for work as well if you finish that report it drives attention and actually you get dopamine if people pay attention to you regulates sleep and arousal mood learning and like lactation as well for women it decreases lactation um, it also plays a small role in your fight or flight system that we talked about last episode it's not something that you can clearly measure so it's not that you can get like some kind of like over-the-counter test where you spit in a tube and it tells you your dopamine level it's 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 hard to measure you can't even get a blood test that clearly states that um so we have to look more for its effects and that we can directly see you know what the levels of your dopamine is so let's talk a, a little bit about the different things that allows us to get more dopamine the most important part is accomplishment right um, accomplishment of something pleasurable and it doesn't even have to be something pleasurable per se like I said it's like finishing your homework that's not necessarily pleasurable by itself but by making it a goal and, and focusing your your achievement on that you do get a release of dopamine so it just doesn't have to be shiny and in fact there is something problematic just chasing down things that are pleasurable that will get you stuck in a hedonistic loop also reframing challenges right 
So usually how we relate to a challenge is we're annoyed by it. Like something comes up and I, I don't know, we have to do our tax returns or we get a parking ticket or, or whatever, anything happens in life, we don't get the promotion. There is great value in reframing challenges in like sort of a positive way, not just like, it's not just like an airy fairy thing. It is something when we do that, we harness the power of our motivation or of, of our reward seeking, because we set a goal, we imagine it to be in a certain way. And instead of being annoyed that it isn't this way right now, we focus more on how it will feel good if we complete that task. And then suddenly our dopamine is going to help to stay on target and actually finish that. There's also all kind of low grade activities that make you feel happy or relaxed that also releases dopamine. It's thought to release to increase dopamine levels such as exercise, meditation, yoga, massage, playing with a pet, walking in nature or reading, reading a book, right? just pleasurable, relaxing activity. There's also like the nutrition part of it, which I don't think for a ton of people makes that much of a difference, but it is still important to realize that in order to feel in a certain way, your body has to be able to create dopamine. So in that case, if you want to eat, if you eat a diet that's high in magnesium and tyrosine rich foods, those are the building blocks for dopamine, right? I don't think in a ton of situations, if, if you just pay good attention to your nutrition, that like your um, gap is going to be like you don't have the building blocks, but it's still good to know where it's in. Foods that are known to increase dopamine include chicken, almonds, apples, avocados, bananas, beets, chocolate. Chocolate also increases serotonin, more about that later. Leafy green vegetables, green tea, lima beans, oatmeal, oranges, peas, sesame and pumpkin seeds, tomatoes, turmeric, watermelon and wheat germ. I eat oatmeal on the daily, so that's, um, that's probably good. So how does it feel if you have the right amount of dopamine? You're happy, you're motivated, you're alert, you're focused. How does it feel if you have low dopamine, tired, unmotivated, unhappy? Memory loss, mood swings, sleep problems, concentration problems, and a low interest in sex. How does it feel if you have a high dopamine level, euphoric, energized, high sex drive, which there is a risk of adultery then, like in that state, um, that's more associated with a, with a high dopamine level. Jealousy erratic behavior, poor impulse control, basically trouble sleeping and being aggressive. So more insight about dopamine later, but I want to keep going. It's not as rapid fire as I hoped. Next up, endorphins, more straightforward. So they are created in your pituitary gland and hypothalamus, both in the brain, and they're released when your body feels pain or stress. It, your body releases endorphins to help you survive, to override the pain. So it actually releases endorphins to block the nerve cells that receive the pain signal. So that then turns it down, essentially turns off your pain. It helps you con to continue focusing even in painful or stressful situation. And because you naturally seek to avoid pain, you're more likely to do something if it makes you feel good, like exercise. So they have many benefits. So they ease the symptoms of depression, help with stress and anxiety, improve self-image, 
contribute to weight loss and alleviate childbirth pain. And this is again from a number of scientific studies that I will cite in the show notes. One of the easiest ways of releasing endorphins, and you might know that, is by exercising. And I've talked about the Real Happy Pill by Anders Hansen before, which like outlines what kind of exercise and what you have to do. And it's actually nothing crazy. You do have to focus that you engage your heart rate. Your heart rate does have to go up above a certain BPM uh, appropriate for your, for your age. So it's not just taking a walk. Like it is the exercise that actually does make you break a sweat that releases the endorphins because you can imagine that just a low grade walk doesn't really stress your body. The moment that you're like sprinting or something like that, that is a stressor for your body, which is why that drives the release of all these endorphins. Um, For example, like a runner's high that people feel after or during a good run but you don't have to feel the runner's high that um, there's other forms of exercise that make you release endorphins because lots of people don't like running. Power walking is included. Get your heart rate up high enough, but it is included. Swimming, dancing, hiking, all of these help. You can increase your body uh, endorphins by engaging in various activities. I mean, exercise I already uh, mentioned. So it's a moderately intense pace. Right, seems to be best for releasing endorphins. Supposedly as well, a good scientific study to which I don't know that much about acupuncture, but acupuncture, like just, you know, putting fine needles into the skin at specific points, probably related to the fact that that actually hurts and then you get some endorphins for that. But supposedly that's one of those. Meditation, breathing deeply, focusing uh, on, on calming your brain and mind that eases pain as well. So just mindfulness by itself. Sex. Um, So the endorphins give us the blissful feeling that many of us get after sex. It's just like a painkiller. And um, there's there's many more hormones that are that are released when when you're having sex. And I don't know if that's um, familiar to some of some of you. But I, what I've noticed is like sometimes when I'm like sick, I I am more interested in having sex because of those pain killing um, effects. It's not the best reason to want to have sex. There's painkillers for that, but it's it's good to it's good to remember. Um, let's see. There is some study as well, like this is the interesting thing about studies. This is a more recent one that do state that the release of endorphins aren't as strong as uh, like after having sex for men as for for women. But that's just one study, but you know. Playing music, so I alluded to the dancing as well, but if you sing, dance, bang on a drum, you do more than just entertain others or annoy others you also release a rush of endorphins and that might increase your tolerance to pain eating chocolate or spicy food so that's we've seen chocolate for dopamine we've seen chocolate for um endorphins now and we're going to see that it's it also promotes serotonin so there's something really good about chocolate the more 
like high percentage co cocoa uh, as possible, right? Like 80% like dark chocolate or 90 or something like that. And spi spicy foods supposedly as well, probably, you know, there's something painful, stressful about that. Laughter. So that apparently does wonders for releasing endorphins uh, and generally for your state of mind. Laughter also alters levels of serotonin and dopamine. Didn't really talk about it in context of, of dopamine as much, but that is definitely one as well. Ultraviolet light. So just being in the sun, it, it stimulates a release of beta endorphins in the skin. So that's wonderful. Onwards to serotonin. So serotonin is largely created in the gut, 95%, and not just the brainstem. Or not, yeah, not just the brainstem, but some of it is created there as well, which is different from like sort of the um, chemicals that we've been talking about so far. What does it do in your body? It regulates your mood. It's often called your natural feel-good chemical, just like dopamine, so that's confusing. When it's at normal levels, you feel focused, emotionally stable, happier, calmer and low levels of serotonin are associated with depression. And many medicines or medications that treat anxiety, depression, or other mood disorders um, target ways to increase the serotonin in your brain, like SSRI, so it's a serotonin like sort of uptake something, something. I forget what it actually stands for, but I believe that SSRIs prevent the reuptake of um, serotonin so that it just like, stays in your system more. Digestion. So digestion sorry most of your body serotonin is in your gi tract where it helps control your bowel movements and plays a role in protecting your gut so your gut can increase serotonin release to speed digestion to rid your body of irritating food or toxic products when you eat <laughs> spicy food a serotonin also plays a part in reducing your appetite while eating nausea so actually um your brain perceives nausea if serotonin is released into your gut faster than it can be digested. So many drugs that are used to reduce the feeling of nausea target the serotonin receptors in your brain so that you don't experience nausea. Sleep together with dopamine plays a role in the quality of your sleep, how well and how long you sleep. Uh, your brain also needs serotonin to make melatonin and that's the hormone that regulates your sleep-wake cycle. You can take that as a supplement, by the way. Wound healing, so it has um, a place in um, helping your body heal, heal wounds. And just like dopamine, it uh, regulates your desire for sex as well. So different uh, than just chasing the reward of sex, it does play a role as well. It has a role as well as feeling fatigue. So you might know about tryptophan. Tryptophan is the, one of the amino acids that's required to create serotonin in your brain. And it's one of the eight or nine, depending on how you count, essential amino acids. So I know that from like the supplement world, like if in your pre-workout and post-workout, oftentimes you see that it doesn't have tryptophan, but it does have uh, valine, which is closely related. And the reason that that's the case is if you get a lot of tryptophan, that can get metabolized or in your brain uh, changed into serotonin. If you have a higher concentration of serotonin in your muscles, you can't do as much as many reps. You, you, you feel tired earlier. So I found that interesting uh, as well. That's the, that's the reason that uh, 
there's generally no tryptophan in, uh, in uh, working out supplements. So to increase the levels, you guessed it, you can eat more tryptophan in, uh, containing foods. There's a list, but I'll just like highlight chocolate again, dark chocolate. Getting more sunlight. So again, sunlight, very, very important. Just don't, don't feel good. Like eat a piece of chocolate, go outside. <laughs> That's just gonna be, uh, gonna be good for you. Especially if you then do like some moderate exercise, even if you go for a power wall. You know, meditation and mindfulness, there it is again. So we see that popping up in all these different, um, for all these different chemicals. Again, this is not just woo woo. There's, there's nowadays there's good um, studies on mindfulness. There's a whole, the whole MBSR mindful based stress reduction. Um, I actually did that class on a masterclass by John Kabat-Zinn, I believe his name. Like he's he's the he's the OG MBSR guy. So there's there's good solid evidence for that that it's not just woo woo as we thought it was like 20 years ago, just something that like blew over from the east. But now there's, there's good evidence for it. Um, finally, getting more exercise and lowering your stress level. Oxytocin. So that's, we're, we're at number four now. So oxytocin, I actually, by reading all these different papers, I've found out a bunch of information. So. My takeaway is that it's just primarily used in labor and childbirth to stimulate contractions and aid lactation. So it feels like that, that, that chemical, uh, again, it's synthesized in your brain, released by your brain. That's like sort of the clearest, like physical observable thing that, that happens. And then there's like, when a woman goes into childbirth, there is actually a positive feedback loop of oxytocin that that helps you to get through the entire the entire thing, which is of course very stressful and painful. And supposedly it helps your bonding as well, like child infant parent infant bonding. But there's newer evidence that like sort of counterindicates that as well. They did exercise where they bred elite voles that do not have the receptors for oxytocin. They had a hard time lactating but they bonded with their young just fine they like licked them which there's like all kinds of very interesting evidence that for rat pups young young rats um if that their mother like licks them that means that they will grow up to be like much more st stable individuals so it's just the equivalent of cuddling for for rats and it um, creates more social social reds and of course there's a human equivalent of that as well so but there's other studies that say that well actually oxytocin doesn't really do that much so there's different things at work that's always the wonderful thing of trying to do studies at that you know it's 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 hard to measure these uh, these things and there's so many other, other things that are happening as well so but still, a common wisdom is still that it plays an important role in human behavior, social interactions, um, sexual arousal, again, recognition, trust, romantic attachment and parent-infant bonding. So something like um, MDMA, the drug, boosts these oxytocin levels, I believe, which is the reason that you feel suddenly feel so connected to everyone in the room, even if they're strangers, right? So that is that is a measurable effect. 
like I said, for women, childbirth and lactation uh, is affected by oxytocin quite a bit. And for men, apparently ejaculation, which was also interesting. So the, f the feeling of being close and connected actually apparently promotes promotes orgasm uh, in in men, um, just like we uh, saw in the last episode that being in the fight or flight system promotes ejaculation in, uh, in men. It, I find it interesting whenever I read about these things, how many of these things are um, have stuff to do with a reproductive system. It, it makes it makes me respect it, how like well wired it is through everything. It makes me like sort of realize that every, all the machinery that's that's behind it to make us interested in doing that in the first place because it's such a pain in the neck to actually deal with. So I am, I got I got a chuckle out of that. It's rare to have too little or too much oxytocin. So it's apparently pretty much self stabilizes pretty well. Increasing oxytocin um, through say physical touch, so think massage, cuddling, also making love as in having sex, hugging and uh, playing with with animals and having eye contact with uh, with animals supposedly also makes us feel connected. So oxytocin surges. So let's go into like, the insights. I've, I've tried to give an overview of the four molecules, what they do, how they work. Um, and now like, what does it mean for the work that we're doing? What are the insights that I got out of that for me personally, and just like sort of in an abstract sense as well. I feel like a number of these feel good chemicals are straightforward and um, what you can take away from this talk is just, hey, take care of your exercise. It's so important for just like your chemical happiness is not optional. Plan for it, do it in the right way. Um, it's just not an option. Get out in the sun. Sure, like wear sunscreen is important. But be aware, of just, it's not just the vitamin D that you're getting. It's, it's really important for your chemical uh, happiness. Eating in the right way is, is also quite, uh, quite important. And, um, you know, laughter is what I wanted to mention as well. Just like plan that in your life, even if it's watching comedy show or something like that, or working on your own humor. Meditation. So it's 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 basically so much connected to all these you know chemicals brain chemicals for happiness read up if if you have like some kind of like skepticism around that like read up on the signs yourself but it is it's just so important and in this world of like everybody like doing that much it's one of the things that i find the hardest to convince myself or or others of and the last one um is like also take care of your your sexual well-being so and that doesn't mean just having sex it might actually mean having less sex right so i'll go into that as i talk about these different uh these different these different insights um first of all i do want to like sort of compare a little bit dopamine and serotonin because they're both neurotransmitters they're both message, uh, chemical message carriers um, between nerve cells in the brain as to and from other areas in your body. 
They're both considered to be happy hormones. And they both play a role in positive mood and emotion. But what's the difference? Serotonin is associated with happiness, focus, and calmness, where dopamine is associated with rewards and motivation. I talked about that as well. They are in some balance. It doesn't mean that if you're just chasing shinies and have high dopamine that your serotonin is going to be low. It's not as simple as that. It's really complicated. But they do um, they do interact, right? So um, they have partially all other functions. Like dopamine doesn't really regulate the digestive function where serotonin does. But it is true that sometimes an imbalance lead to, leads to an overproduction of the other neurotransmitter. So in my head, I translate that if you don't take care of your serotonin, if you don't like relax, go for that calmness, that might present itself as an, an overproduction of dopamine. And that involves chasing, chasing shinies. So for me, that just means that in my like sort of daily plan, my daily time, I have to really think about what are my dopamine activities? What are my serotonin activities that, you know, how, how do I take care of like an environment that allows both of them to regulate me? Um, let's see, one of the other things, I mean, I, just to reiterate, like the things to take away from this episode is like exercise well not just exercise, like do it in a way that um, you like sort of maximize filling up on these, um, these hormones, be present, mindfulness, eat well, have a balanced sexual life, save physical touch, spend time in the sun and laugh. So that there are seven, seven things there. You can take note. I do want to create like sort of talk, talk about like a warning and partially from personal life. And that is to be to be aware of compulsions. So I think that most of these chemicals that we've talked about, there's no way that they can really like hurt us that much. You could argue that if you're like high on serotonin and you're just like feeling good, you, you don't really motivate yourself to do anything. That's something you could, you could argue that. Um, but I believe it to be much more rare and it's not, it's not the case for me. So that it doesn't speak to me as much. I can sympathize. I can't empathize, but for dopamine, there is a danger there because it's so much, you get to decide what the rewards are that you chase after and what you consider pleasurable is driven by so many things in life, right? So, once something in, uh, becomes ingrained in your brain circuitry, if you've engaged into it over and over and over, and you might have heard of these experiments where mice can like self-medicate dopamine or cocaine or like some addictive, like and when we're talking about addiction, the way that you get addicted to cocaine or heroin is very much like through, through the rewards and through dopamine. Um, read an interesting paper on that. On that topic, that same paper also states for men that want to like um, kick their cocaine addiction, making sure that you have enough oxytocin, even with like a nasal spray, had like a very positive effect, right? Like the, the, the control, the group that had the spray versus the placebo group or the group that didn't do anything did significantly better, which is interesting. It's also interesting that it doesn't work like that for women, but 
uh, I don't have like a particular insight. I just thought that that was an interesting factoid. But so if you ingrain it in your brain circuitry, it becomes exceedingly difficult to like ch change that at one point. This is where adrenaline comes in as well. Like if you have this co this cocktail of adrenaline, something that's like really exciting, kind of scary, and dopamine, that creates very euphoric memories, right? It's it's going to feel very vibrant, very very great, right? And that's dangerous, right? Because there are some things that can actually be very damaging. So, for example, that's the way that pornography takes root in a lot of like the brain of especially young men younger in in life and i can speak to that from personal experience you have the rush of adrenaline because you're doing something bad that's not allowed right and dopamine because your body is re rewarding like looking at like naked naked women or porn or whatever um and like the orgasm that usually follows but that creates like a dopamine cycle that because you're you're getting that from that um, from that one source, it's not just going to be dopamine. It's just also there's a bunch of endorphins and oxytocin that's uh, that's released that um, but you don't really have someone that you're really bonding to in, in that moment. You, you have to model that you're 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 looking at, but they're not real. Um, so it creates all kinds of like um, problems. And if you do that, like through a repeated exposure, that creates an inability to function in different areas of, uh, of life. And if we're talking about cocaine, heroin addiction, that's, that's very, it's, it's very clear, right? It's, it's, it's obvious. That's the reason that people caution you that much to be really, really careful with, uh, with drugs like that. Makes sense. But that can be for like natural things as having sex as well if you do it in like sort of a compulsive way in a chasing shiny ways of chasing more women um, and pornography is especially like sort of problematic from that perspective because it's really about that coolidge effect right because you're exposing yourself to like different women every every day and that sets up that cycle of reward seeking you're seeking the next thing the next thing the next thing before you know it you can't really engage that well with actual people in your in your life right like all your fancy sexual energy goes to like these you know hypothetical women that never say never say no to you so you can see what the problem there is this is also true what i would say from like playing video games in a way because it gives you a reward that in real life would be would be harder to get now generally good video games give you like these dopamine hits early on to like get you hooked and then the games become become harder right but it still like engages your your reward system in the in the same way see i also wanted to mention like euphoric recall again so that is the concept of a memory being much more vibrant and positive than it actually was because there was so much dopamine uh, involved so it, it it changes it changes like sort of the the color of our a memory even if something really bad happened happened afterwards um so it creates a really or it takes a really conscious and 
concerted effort to swim against the current of reinforcement, right? Because every step towards like getting your full surge of dopamine, you're going to get like dopamine drips. It's reinforcing you. It's like sort of <laughs> cheering you along here, like feel a little better, feel a little better, feel a little better. So that's why you get in a rush, like people that read about like uh, people that have been in recovery for years that can still really experience these strong cravings when they find themselves in places where they used to engage in their addictive behaviors, right? Because you just, your body wants you to get there. And this is an interesting thing because if you haven't formed those memories, if you've only done like a thing once you've experimented with the drug once and you're just like, okay, well, that's what's like, this, this is not the healthiest for me it can fade away to the background. If you have like a very strong, uh, you've, you've reinforced that circuit a lot, it's going to take a lot of deprogramming. Luckily it is possible, and this is where mindfulness comes into play again, because um, being mindful promotes brain plasticity, so that promotes certain neural pathways from you know, getting less priority and less priority. So the, the great news is that years of concentrated effort to like undo these euphoric memories does have an effect, but it does take like, you know, it can take a decade. Like if you've had a strong addictive um, behavior cycle, especially if substances are involved, but it can be sex addiction just as much, which usually comes with substance addiction as well. But um, it, it, it changes you it like physically changes like the connections in your in your brain so that means that you have a lot of brain plasticity work to do to unwire that and that's like sort of my caution about dopamine so you can fill your dopamine cup, cup in millions of unproductive ways i've already talked about playing video games making money just focusing on making money that's like lots of like if you drive like car for uber or lyft I hear from drivers that there's like a, a gamified way of doing that. Like you have to get this many rides and then you get that much money. And like you, <laughs> you hear like sound effects and stuff like that. And then you get a dopamine rush when you hit that, like hear that beep of achieving that, that reward, you know, um, I'm not saying that making money is bad. I'm just saying that that can be one way of engaging your reward system. And that gets you some things, but not other things. Gambling is a great example as well that again, I can sympathize, not empathize. I'm not, I don't really have a gambler's heart or soul or whatever. So I don't really get it, but supposedly as well. Um, and anything that is addictive, right? Smoking, drinking, doing stimulants, um, doing heroin, dopamine drives early addiction to heroin very, very strongly. So all of these, you know, engage dopamine very, very well, optimize that. I've already what, uh, mentioned watching porn or fantasizing uh, and fantasizing in, in like sort of like um, not like fantasizing can be absolutely great because it's a way of visualizing what we want. And that that's that's absolutely great. That's actually a, a big part of manifestation, being able to like visualize what you what you want. I've talked about visualization in multiple episodes, <coughs> so it's very, very important. But it is important to fantasize about things that you want to come to pass and not just like these 
bizarre scenarios that you that you see in porn because you know that that's not that's not even truly what you want if you're honest so it's it's is wasting is wasting brain cycles in a, in a way uh, masturbate and doing any like sort of like reproductive uh, behavior it is important to be aware how strongly that engages the reward system de depending on your temperament and but the fact that how much you hear me talking about that that is you know a strong thing for me like oftentimes sex feels like the shiniest shiny to me and, and there's dangers to that because not only does that lead to disappointment because it's actually like not your solution to uh to everything um it hurts the connection with uh with your partner uh as well right because it becomes compulsive and who who wants that who wants to be exposed to someone that wants something from you compulsively instead of connecting with you I mentioned already re euphoric recall. Um, so that's dopamine plays plays an, an important part in that. So you're just like thinking about a memory of like something that good that happened gets the dopamine flowing. It's meant to get the dopamine flowing so that you seek out that situation again, right? But in some situation, you don't want to engage with that situation again, right? So this is again where mindfulness comes comes into uh, comes into play so i i would say that euphoric recall can be very important i can say that like everything that i've talked about in a way can be very important if if it's a goal if it's something that you're trying to to achieve or to to get right if i want to do public speaking and i am just doing a euphoric recall to how I felt after I did that, when I got my applause or something like that. That's positive because that means like I get reinforced in seeking out that next experience to fulfill my like life purpose. If that's public speaking, something like scary like that, instead of focusing on how nervous I was before that or something like that. So I'm not saying that euphoric recall is bad. I'm, I'm saying to use it productively instead of like obsess obsessing about or euphorically recalling things that happened in the past that you don't want to reproduce that you actually don't want to don't want to you actually don't want to do if you you know experimented with a with a drug and it was really good and to, to obsess about that that leads you in the wrong direction or some sexual encounter or gambling where you want some money or that time that you got that bonus from work when the company sold or some or that time that you found like a thousand dollars on the street you know so the moral of the story is kind of like just don't be dopamine's bitch <laughs> uh, think about the marshmallow test as well delayed gratification is a good thing like you don't have to follow that dopamine drip that's being created i haven't really talked at all about um uh, cell phones and social media right when i'm talking about playing video games it, it's kind of the same thing like in a way like social media you can see it as a video game um i don't really engage that much with social media at all uh, partially because i feel like i'm very uh it's easy for me to get sucked sucked into like 
likes and, and whatever. Um, but that is a very important one to, to mention as well. So that can lead to a lot of scrolling. It can lead to a lot of obsessive thinking. It lead to like checking your phone whenever, you know, you, you hear the beep of like something that you're getting. That is actually the reason that um, I have notifications on my phone, like off the vast majority of the time. I have like two or three contacts that can like get through that. So if I get, get a text from my girlfriend, that, that, that'll like, you know, interrupt my workflow. But for the rest, like not Twitter, not email, not Slack, not like any of these, these things that work into like, oh, is this a good or a bad thing? Um, no inst Instagram uh, alerts or something like that. And, and that has to do with the dopamine sack. That just means that my, my phone, it's, it's still a dopamine hit for me to check it. But then at least there's not just like that dopamine that it diverts your attention that reinforces you to engage with your phone. At least I don't have that just all the time that you hear your phone vibrating or something like that has downsides because I sometimes miss important things. But you can imagine how important, like, for example, like when recording an episode like that, it's obvious that I, I don't want to like have my phone buzzing or a notification on my on my laptop, right? Because then I'm just going to be okay. What's that? Right, it's going to take you out of your uh, flow. Um, the moral story is here is and I'm talking most about dopamine, but to um, get your dopamine from setting goals that are in line with your values. Playing video games can be in line with your values. Having sex can be in line with your with your your values in like a healthy amount. Even gambling can be in line with your values. You might want to get really good at poker. That's fine. Like that, there's nothing like necessarily wrong with that. Um, you know, you you can make your living doing doing that. Why why not? Like why is that better than programming? Like I mean, I can I, I can you know people become like these that, that do like compete in the tournaments and stuff like that. So. Nothing of this is like really, really wrong, right? You can video games, you can be wanting to make a live, living in the game industry. And then it's just really important for you to know your games and maybe you're designing games. So you play that from that perspective. But that depends on what you want to achieve in life. So the key here is to look at what you're doing on a daily basis, where you're getting your dopamine from because the way that I relate to it is you are going to get your dopamine from something like the reward system is something that doesn't really fully go dormant. I do think that over the years, like you can imagine that like a guru or something like that, if you think of like Sadhguru, for example, and partially that's a projection and I don't know how he how he actually is, but you can imagine that a person like that would you know, a high, high development isn't as easily swayed by rewards anymore. Right. That's, that's how they can refrain from like eating like sweet and salty food. And it's, it's a part, it's part of being mature. Right. And some of it get it like that's the marshmallow mellow test again. Um, 
some of us get that early in life and it just like comes with it and some of it has actually have to do a lot of work uh, for it so it's all about like making sure that you plan ahead and it can be really hard as per usual there's like backlash from your surroundings usually because there's a sort of like a gravity well and if everyone around you in your family or friends group or something like that all engages with like i don't know social media or does drugs or drinks or like what whatever the thing is it's going to be really hard for you to not do that and you might actually have to cut people out you might also not know your values yet right so you might not know what thing you want to engage with on a daily basis so you can get somewhere um it can be especially true in your 20s and 30s and that's where my episode about values is about right it's important to uncover these things to discover them to build your values in a way so i want to reiterate like it's how do you use that dopamine and how how do you get dopamine how you use that again i want to underline the accomplishment achieving goals but you set the goals so that is where visualization comes into play as well and that is where smart ways of planning come into play as well so and actually while recording this or while like preparing this i came to an insight myself it's like i i manage tasks in two different ways i either have like a reminders list like uh, getting things done style contextual things right or i put things in the calendar and over time i've started using like the task list less like because a calendar you look at it all the time so it always reminds me if i have to do something i can put that in my calendar and then do it what david allen i believe his name is of getting things done what he recommends is actually not doing that in that way because if you plan it from 10 to 11 and then you do it from 2 to 3 like why was it on your calendar and you just keep moving the thing and then you move it to the next day and that that doesn't really engage it doesn't really give you confidence that uh, that well I still like doing that that way because I, I just look at my calendar more than I look at my reminders list. Um, but what I realized is that one of the things where it does make a lot of sense to do more things with my task list again is that creates that reward system. I definitely feel the reward of checking off an item uh, to the level that I sometimes add something to my to-do list so that I can check it off. Right. And it's really silly, but that's just about getting a dopamine hit. But it's a dopamine hit for doing something that you want to get done in life. So set up ways that you do not only know your goals very well, even if they're abstract, but that you also have the micro steps in there. Right. So you have small things that you do every every day that you can then check off and that's i'm gonna think about that for myself actually in relation to my uh, life goal so i might change some things around because like i said i'm very calendar driven but that's beside the point reframing challenges is also very important this was really like um an eye-opener for me because reframing challenges into goals where you get like dopamine things from that it, it just harnesses your your reward system and it that becomes very very positive and powerful 
So those those are the two that I wanted to like re re highlight, right? Um, let's see a couple of things about oxytocin as well, but that's partially because there's so much new research on oxytocin. And um, so what do I want to mention about about that? Is partially that oxytocin is released so partially as well like this is from a study called how relevant is the systematic oxytocin concentration for human sexual behavior a systematic overview a systematic review one of the things that i found really interesting is they um showcase as well the um, um downsides of like what oxytocin is supposed to do when it comes to sexual behavior is to create bonding they highlight what the downsides are of like self-stimulation, how that then works, and where that bonding goes towards. So that was an, an interesting, an interesting uh, thing. Um, but how you can also modulate it in the right way. So generally, you can in sexual behavior, you can do two things: you can engage in fantasy, or you can engage with actually what's what's happening right in front of you, right? And in a lot of situations. Um, especially if you're self-stimulating, masturbating, you're in fantasy land, right? I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be the case, but like that's, that's oftentimes. And that is actually where you can do that in a productive way. You can, if you keep your, your fantasy on, on the real world, on your partner, for example, or, or someone that you want to be your partner, there can actually be advantages uh, to to that. So it's another example of where um, visualization, fantasy in a way is visualization, combining it with like a strong like bonding system, like human sexuality, actually can can get you something positive that you that you wanna wanna go for. And like from my perspective, the the best is still to engage sexually with with a partner that you want to bond to and instead of while you're having sex with them fantasizing about someone or something else to really make sure that you can be present in that situation and that creates very very important um, bonding which again has a positive effect because the moment that you're bonded to someone they become a source of oxytocin for you by just looking into their eyes right and that just creates more stability in uh, in general um i think i mentioned uh, already that the um, oxytocin is not unlike the drug ecstasy which triggers the release of serotonin dopamine and oxytocin in the brain and heightens users feeling of trust and intimacy even among complete strangers so that's from um the history of oxytocin um, so that's I found that like interesting. I hadn't thought about trust and intimacy that much as a feeling. So that for me would change as well as how I how I engage with some of these things. I'm um, wanting to try to like more have more safe physical touch, for example, because that does release oxytocin, um, and especially if you focus on bonding to that to that person, so that doesn't just have to be like a sexual thing. And one of the last things is that I've mentioned as well is like for men, uh, if, if you're caught in an addictive cycle, 
and like the study is about cocaine addiction um, that you can actually use oxytocin to make your life a lot easier so that shows a little bit for us men how important it is to like feel bonded i mean you you can artificially like sort of have like a nasal spray with oxytocin but that also kind of means that if you optimize that in a natural way and i translate that in my head as like feeling connected to to like people around you that you don't really get sucked into addictive behavior that that much so i found that very interesting as well all right so i think that that's um what i wanted to chat about do want to wrap up um like i usually go through expect some backlash from your your environment be aware of if you're changing behavior if you're changing like your the, the way that you're getting your dopamine um be aware of that that's going to like people around you are going to have an opinion about that not always positive um i just want to re-highlight as well as being talk, talking mainly about dopamine because dopamine i feel is is partially dangerous like it's a um it can take you down i haven't talked in my insights as much about the other feel-good chemicals because my takeaway again is like these just um the the where my where my seven things exercise well be present mindful meditate eat well have a balanced sexual life safe physical touch spend time in the sun and laugh wait like the sexual life and physical touch were the same but so seven things um that's the main takeaway that i get from like the endorphins the serotonin um oxytocin i talked about it a little bit a little bit more but like from an insights perspective i feel like that's just the most important takeaway so this stuff about the feel-good molecules should re-motivate you to just cover those bases really really well so if if you make sure that in your routine those are taken care of you're that's going to be uh it's going to do a lot for you in uh, in life all right so i think i want to leave it at that thank you so much for tuning in this has been vincent for the meaningful Shit show and i will see you next time <laughs>